Well, you know how youth typically just gather at a person's house after church or whatever. And Mm. my son was no different. He went one day and he was quite the show off, I guess would be the way to say it. And he decided that he could show off and get the girl's attention if he did flips on the trampoline. Of course. But Mm. he momentarily (laughs) forgot that this trampoline did not have a net, whereas the one he had perfected all his flips on did have a net. And so he did the whole, you know, look at me. And then he went flipping right off the trampoline and landed on both of his, you know, caught himself with his hands and got up and acted like he was all cool and everything. And, um, a few weeks later, had pins in both wrists and both mm. hands and casts. Um, so his showing off and his coolness kind of <laughs> backfired there. Um, but that's pretty typical for him. And yeah. um, and it was this huge ordeal. They said that they weren't broken. And then we went to somebody else and they said, no, there are big chunks of his bone hanging out here. And so oh, no. anyway. You know, I don't think that's totally strictly limited to youth. No, I don't. So. Either. <laughs> my wife Do you and have I a went, story? Yes. My <laughs> wife and I went to a friend's house one time. And this is, I'm in late 20s probably, mm-hmm. maybe even early 30s. I'm not sure. But we went to a friend's house and his daughter was doing these back handsprings on a trampoline. And I'm like, I got this. <laughs> and I jump up there. and I, So I've never done a back handspring before. I didn't realize that your hands and your head come to the trampoline a lot faster <laughs> than you think they will. Um, and at a different angle than you think they will. So mm-hmm. I totally broke one of my fingers. Just trying to do a backhand. It was, yeah. Mm. <laughs> nice. It's not Nicely limited done. to youth. No, no, no. We're all, all of us are pretty stupid. It was pretty entertaining that here this independent 16-year-old that thought, you know, you know how 16-year-olds oh, think sure. they are, yeah. um, ended up then being completely dependent upon mm. his parents to do everything for Absolutely. him because he was walking around with casts on both hands. Oh, no. So it, there was some poetic justice in it all. Yeah, there's a lesson to be learned there. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to The Testament, a podcast that spotlights the amazing real-life stories of everyday people who've been transformed by their surrender to Jesus Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of one of the many miraculous before and after accounts of lives forever changed by encountering the Savior. Welcome to the Testament Podcast. My name is Brandon Barton. And I am Jeff Keck, and we're here today with Wendy Smith. Hi, Wendy. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? you give us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, my name is Wendy, and I'm married to my husband, Mark. We've been married for almost 34 years. Nice. And we have four children and three grandchildren under the age of two, and another one on the way. So it's very Congratulations. busy around our house. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so what's that like, grandchildren? Oh, it's crazy. You know, everybody tells you it's the most wonderful phase and it's so fun. And and it is. It is all of that. You know, you can sugar them up and send them home and all of those things. But nobody talks about how much work it is. Mm. It's mm. exhausting <laughs> if you're wow. really going to choose to be involved in the most wonderful way. Sure. I love yeah, being I'm exhausted sure, yeah. by my grandkids. Right. But Absolutely. it is. I just didn't prepare myself for that mentally. Yeah. My oldest daughter is getting married in two months. So. Oh, that's an exciting time. Hopefully we're not going to be gram, Grammy and Grampy anytime Too soon, soon. But, you know, we'll see. my oldest daughter's 13. We're nowhere near that. Yeah. <laughs> Praise <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to call you Grampy anyway. All right. <laughs> it's been really cool to come here for this because my kids all grew up in the halls of 
Lake Arlington Baptist yeah. Church at the yeah. time, now Lake Church. And um, so that has been really neat. They have so many memories from here. Um, since I worked in the music ministry, I was here during the week a lot, right. just tagging, tugging mm. them all along. <laughs> um, and they ran these halls like they owned it, like it was their home away from home. So do they know where the fireplace is? Um, I don't know. Uh-huh. Did you just reveal that there's a hidden fireplace? There is a hidden fireplace in church. I know where it is. You do. <laughs> he doesn't. I might have. I might have forgotten in the sleeps since then. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sure you stumbled on it by accident. <clears throat> yes. Yes. I'm sure I have it one time or another. <laughs> well, Wendy, this podcast is all about how Jesus has changed lives. Uh, so, will you please just give us a little bit about your testimony? Sure. Um, I was born into a Christian family and um, really deep seated genuine faith. Mm. Um, my grandparents owned a Bible and bookstore and my other grandparents were lay missionaries in Ecuador. And okay. both of my parents um, were just active believers. Um, my dad was a minister of music in a church and a college professor most of my growing up. And so um, I don't really remember it ever being difficult for me to believe in God or to trust him. Hmm. So coming to faith for me was really just about gaining enough cognitive knowledge to go along with my heart knowledge. Right. Um, and I made a commitment when I was probably six or seven. Um, and really, I never had a crisis of faith later on where I was feeling like, oh, well, I was young when I made that decision. I didn't know what I was doing. I never really experienced that. Yeah. I really just continued to grow and and walk with the Lord and, and learn more and more about this commitment that I had made. Yeah. Um, and I definitely think that the challenges in my life have drawn me closer <clears throat> to him and helped me gain a better understanding mm. of who he is and um, what he's called us to yeah. um, just like that. I think that's true for most of us mm. when, when things get hard, um, we're more aware of him. And when we're more aware of him, we're better listeners. And he's always faithful to teach us when we're listening to yeah. him. And the key is when we're listening. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, when I was in my, late twenties, early thirties, I battled anorexia. Hmm. And, um, that's a story for another podcast, but, (laughs) but, um, I learned so much about myself and about God in the storms, even the storms of our own creation. Um, and, and also a lot about spiritual warfare and learned how to battle alongside him Hmm. for my own freedom. And, um, and that was a powerful lesson to learn that Hmm. I have, exercised a lot since then, um, raising four kids and, um, just doing life. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, so at nine is when you said you accepted? Um, I think it was seven, seven. Yeah. So, um, was it, and, and, and you say, you know, I want to learn more and more and more and more and more. Was that immediate at seven years old? I want to, I want to dig, because most seven-year-olds don't want to dig right. into scripture, don't want to really dig deep into what it means yeah. to follow Jesus. You know, at what point was that? Well, I was a big nerd from the time I was really little. <laughs> and um, I really loved reading mm. and I really loved learning my summer entailed getting my parents to buy as many workbooks as possible so mm. that I could just do workbooks over the summer. Well, um, you were a nerd. Yeah, I was a really is that, big nerd. Is that wrong to say 
I'm, I'm, a nerd. I'm not offended. Okay. I was. I, I was. I'm a nerd, nerd, but I'm not like a book nerd. I, right. I was. I was not a nerd in that sense. Right. Because that ADHD had yeah. sitting in a book for nothing. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I always enjoyed opportunities to learn, but I don't know that I was intentional about mm. studying scripture. That probably came more um, in my teen years, just through discipleship and things like that, and then. Um, just as I aged, I started doing more and more journaling. I really pretty quickly, this sounds really snobbish, but I really pretty quickly got tired of the traditional fill in the blank of, you know, Bible studies. Yes. I wanted, good. I was like. No, that doesn't sound snobbish at all. No, <laughs> I was just good. like, yeah. make me think, make me yes. think outside of the box and not just fill in a word in this thing, which um, I hope that you know, that I've been able to provide some of that for, within the devotional that I've written. But, sure. um, I, yeah, so I don't know. It was just kind of a progression, but I don't ever remember like all of a sudden going, oh, I want to learn about Jesus, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so, but that was not, as a kid, that was not Lake Church, right? Y'all didn't come to you? No, I lived in Waco and um, Jefferson City, Tennessee, and Lakeland, Florida, growing up. Did you have a lot of friends your age to help go through all this with you um, as you were growing up? I did have quite a few friends my age. My brother is only 18 months younger than me, and we had a really close relationship growing up. Um, but I was very adultish and very content to spend time with adults. Yes. My dad directed a musical group um, that was the face of um, Carson Newman College at the time. It's Carson Newman University now. But um, they did all of their, um, you know, trying to get people engaged. They would go to different churches and sing and then talk to the students oh, about yeah. the program, all of that. Yeah. And I got to travel with them when I was younger because the rules about attending school in Tennessee at that time weren't really strict. Um, And as long as I got my work done, I could just go and travel. And um, so some of my closest friends were college students when I was, you know, elementary, early junior high age. Um, And I think that formed me in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, And it gave me a realistic, maybe a more realistic view of a Christian walk because I was around people who were struggling with typical college age type stuff. And obviously they didn't reveal it all to me, but it was, it was real. You know, I was watching them work out their faith in real life. So it never Mm. felt like something that was foreign to me. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I hate to dwell on this for a little bit, but I want to dwell oh, on this yeah. for a little bit. So as I mean, your book, book smart and book nerdnish, whatever nerdnish is that a word? I don't know. He just, he just created it. Uh, yeah. Nerdnish, uh, <laughs> your ability to read and stuff. That's not going to, that's not going to take you to the level that, you know, we want to be at as far as our relationship with Christ. Right. What was discipleship like for you? Who, mm. who were your disciples? Who were the people that, that led you and helped guide you and helped to, to train and teach you? in the word as you're reading to yeah. basically explain and identify what it is that you're reading, what it is that it's talking about. I think that I had really great Sunday school teachers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we did lots of different programs at the church, Bible learning and things like that as mm. an elementary age kids, all those um, 
what were those called? This, the training. It was cross trainers. Or, yeah, well, but it was before cross like trainers. RAs, GAs, GAs. GAs like, yeah, I kept yeah. thinking four H. No, I had to keep like, going no, back. Wrong, and girls in action. And girls the, in action. I was yes, yes. We had lots of that, and as you know. As time has gone on, those things have gotten squeezed out of our schedules. Right. But it was really um, formative for me because it got me in the word. Um, and then I think because I loved to write, um, I was able to express my thoughts and see them there and my questions. I had great youth leaders um, who were really prominent figured prominently in my discipleship. I remember youth camp being really significant and we always had times where they encouraged us to, you know, to go off by ourselves and think about what we had learned and then come back to a small group and talk about it. And um, so I think it was more a steady diet of discipleship training Mm -hmm. than it was one certain program or one certain thing. And certainly, um, you know, my parents, my father particularly, um, was also a writer and he really encouraged my writing and he encouraged deep thinking um, and was asked me questions about what, you know, what did you mean when you said that? Or what did you think about that? And so um, that was a really rich relationship. Um, I had an equally rich relationship with my mom, but her, she didn't live her faith out as verbally. it was very obvious what she believed. It yeah. was very, but it was just a little bit more close to her vest. Mm. Um, and so I don't remember learning from her in the same way. What I learned from her was how to love people the way yeah. God loved people um, and watch her, you know, watched her do that over and over and over. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in that because we hear a lot about discipleship. And how discipleship a lot of the times is found outside of of the home nowadays. Mm-hmm. But I, I really feel like there's something to be said and something that I want to instill in my children that my legacy my is you, right? right. So the, what I leave this earth, that you are the most important part of, of, of this life short of my salvation in Jesus and your mom. Mm-hmm. And so how, how did that, how did discipleship happen at home um, that you're able to say, like, what did you see your dad do? Like, what what were the things that you took away from your discipleship at home that you have applied to your to your family? Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is just the way that we communicated in the home, mm. um, the way that we listened, mm. um, the way we were listened to. All right. Um, it was it was very easy not they probably laughed that i said that but <laughs> but but the the ebb and flow in our home was positive language mm. um understanding it, it just was a part of the daily dialogue right. it was a part of our prayers it was a part of um our times just discussions at dinner mm. it was um good. looking at like when my dad was planning music for a service it was looking at what what that planning looked like and why, why would you put this music with that music and these lyrics with that, you know? Um, And so, but it was never, I don't remember any, like we're going to sit down and have devotions or we're going to sit down and look at this music or we're going to sit down and look at, you know, it was all as life happened. Yeah. They really did a great job of taking advantage 
of the day to day. Um, and I hope that I've done that for my kids as well. I think that, um, you know, there were times we tried to be a little bit more intentional and to say, we're going to have a devotional at dinner tonight and and it always backfired. Um, and really what worked best was them seeing me sitting at the table, studying my Bible and them seeing me pray with them at night and not just give a superficial prayer. But, um, you know, I would always pray over my kids at night that they would learn to glorify him in whatever they did. And one day it hit me, do they even know what glorify means? Like, what does that mean to glorify him? And, um, you know, glory can be defined as reflecting back the radiance of his worth. I think that's a Giglio phrase. Oh, that's exactly <laughs> right. I was fixing to say that sounds like a Giglio. Um, and, and that has been so meaningful to me as mm. I've raised my kids and as I've interacted with people in life that if we can reflect the radiance of his worth in whatever we're doing, then we've done a lot. Yeah, and I right. guess I would say maybe that's how I would describe my discipleship in, mm. in the home right. was that they reflected back the characteristics of Christ. Great. Um, so. Yeah. And that's really good. No, I love to hear that because, and Brandon said around that, what, what did you see them do? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really disciple. Discipleship is not, let me teach you the Bible. Discipleship is let me show you the right. Bible. Right. right. So, um, yeah, no, I'm with Brandon. I want you know we strive to do that with our kids. And mm-hmm. I read I read somewhere the other day. I don't even know where it was now, but you know, like most you know most families do not eat dinner at the dinner table together. Right. I'm like, my kids would would wonder what's up if we didn't. You know, <laughs> right? What's what's going on? Why why are we not? You know, um, and so and and I'm proud of my kids too. My my oldest daughter, the one that's going to get married, you know, she's home. Uh, just graduated college. She's in between. She's about to go. She went, even when she eats by herself, she goes fix herself a meal and goes sits at the, at the, at the kitchen mm. table yeah. and eats by herself at the kitchen table. You know, right. like, and that's that's eat. not easy to keep that habit right. happening Absolutely. with the chaos that's the going speed on. Speed of life. Um, but it's sure special when you can at least corner off a certain time mm-hmm. several times a week to do that. We did something in our family every um, every meal that we sat together called highs and lows. And um, we, we would, do the oh, same thing. Awesome. We just try to do that. We're like, I don't want to play this game. We just, I know. We just <laughs> so go so around good. the table. And it was great because it was a great conversation starter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there were the nights when nothing. I didn't have any highs. I'm like, okay, well, let's think really hard. You, know, right. you took a breath today. Exactly. Look, God gave you breath. You're alive. <laughs> you, <laughs> you might live through this day. That's true. <laughs> so um, No highs and the lows are that you just asked that question. And that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you and your husband now have, you said you've been married almost 35 years, right? Almost or more 34, than? almost 34. Okay. Almost 34 years. So, um, but you've served in ministry together as you've, as you've grown and done life together, you've served in ministry together as home group leaders, worship leaders, children's ministers, and, and more. Um, so tell me some things that you've seen God do mm. uh, in these ministry opportunities that you've served in for so many years. You know, what's really interesting about that is they're not specific stories that come to mind. Um, What I think about is the opportunities we've had to love others well Mm. and the fruit that that has produced. Mm. Um, 
so whether it was in children's choirs or whether it was producing musicals and directing the musicals or leading worship um, or for Mark serving as a deacon or playing the trombone in the orchestra, <laughs> you know, whatever it was, it always put us in relationship. And, um, and our goal was always to, you know, whether it was to teach or whether it was to encourage all of that happens more effectively in the context of a relationship. And it happens mm. even more effectively in a context of a relationship where someone feels safe and loved and, um, and honored. And so I would say those things that have come out of that have been the sweetest things. Um, and a lot of it has been opportunities outside of church ministry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mark runs major businesses and he has lots of opportunities where people just say, I can tell you're different, you know, and it mm -hmm. gives him the opportunity to speak. Um, and I teach, I'm a pediatric physical therapist, but I also right now I'm teaching and, um, and I mentioned my battle with anorexia. I've also had lots of opportunities over the years to minister to teenagers who are struggling and to their parents. Um, yeah. And, and out of all of that, the patients that I used to see and their parents, the students that I've counseled, and then the students that I teach, and I also tutor kids who have learning challenges. Mm. And um, those are where the, the stories come to mind. Mm. Um, just the way God's used something so normal or even something that seemed so awful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, I really felt I came out of the eating disorder battle feeling like, why would God ever use me? Yeah. And, um, and just to see the way he's done that and to see how the lives that people are living because he allowed me to, to step into their life. And he spoke through that situation. Um, you know, people who were ready to give up on life who now are raising children of their own. And yeah. you know, that's been really neat. And, um, and with the tutoring, I think that's been a really special opportunity um, because I've been able to work with kids who didn't believe in themselves um, and who the system had kind of given up on <laughs> yeah. and let them see that they are valued and that they can do a lot of things that they've always thought they couldn't do. And so to see those aha moments, um, is really special. Uh, I've also seen a lot of those aha moments. I think I'm uh, addicted to aha moments. I, I really <laughs> love them. Thing. I That's really love thing. them. Um, but as a physical therapist, you know, I worked with kids with severe neurological deficits, and um, and just to teach a you know a nine year old how to take a step, mm. you know, and to see it click and see them go, oh, this is how I do that with this walker. This is how I use that. Wow. Um, or, you know, there were kids who were 16, 17, who'd been in a wheelchair or in a bed most of their lives. And I would have the opportunity to get them into a, a gait trainer, basically, mm. and and help them learn to step. So they just felt what movement was like, which was a whole new thing. And just to watch their faces um, and to watch their parents and see just how encouraging it was to see something that felt kind of normal, even mm -hmm. though it was so far from normal, um, was really touching and encouraging and um, just have made some of the sweetest sure. memories for me. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Well, will you share with us uh, about the tragedy involving your son and how 
God continues to show off in that situation. Yeah, yeah. God has been really big about showing off, and he was much more successful at it than my son was <laughs> in his trampoline <laughs> attempt. Um, so soon after the dreaded trampoline accident, mm. he, Lance is my son, he was going to therapy for said showing off trick <laughs> um and he was coming home and when he was on the way home he he was a relatively new driver um so seven had just turned no yeah just turned 17 maybe he was still 16 and he um I, we think that he looked over his shoulder and thought that if he'd had room to go yeah. he ended up clipping a car <laughs> and then what the police think is that that scared him and that he overcorrected and he was going over an overpass. And so when he overcorrected, he was headed down toward the highway below. Mm. And so he went back the other way. And when he did, his car wrapped around the highway signage pole mm -hmm. on the driver's side. Mm. So um, they had to bring the, he had the jaws of life to extricate him from the vehicle. Mm. And when they did, um, he wasn't breathing and he was completely unresponsive. Um, they didn't take at the time, and I didn't know this, but when they take somebody, you probably know this, you know, they, they didn't search for his ID or anything, which had all been thrown to the back of the car. Right. Um, they just took him. So he got to the hospital as a John Doe. Um, so Mark and I had been on the phone saying, have you heard from Lance? I haven't heard from Lance today, blah, 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 blah. I tried to call him, but he didn't answer. And Mark was like, he probably went home and fell asleep. He's just not answering. I said, okay, well, then my phone rang and it was Lance. And I was like, Lance is calling. I'll call you back. And there was this hmm. loud noise. And hmm. I was like, did he stop at the batting cages and butt dial me? Like, is that what that was? <laughs> and so then I hung up. I kept saying, hello, hello. And there was no answer. So I hung up. And then the same thing happened again. And I was like, hello, hello, and still nothing happened. But that time I thought I heard a beep. And then it happened again. And that time I could hear like beep, beep, all the medical sounds. Hmm. And um, and I heard this woman's voice say, no, I heard a man's voice say, is it his mom? And she said, well, it says mom. And they were looking at his, he had put me yeah. in his phone as mom. Yeah. Well, okay. And um, and so then I knew something was really, really wrong. Yeah. But they still couldn't hear me. And I still kept saying, I'm here. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? And so hung up again. And then I got a call from an unknown number and it mm. was the trauma neurosurgeon. Mm. And he said, you know, I'm Dr. Bodeker. I'm the trauma neurosurgeon at St. Francis Trauma ER. And your son has been here. It was brought in about an hour ago as a John Doe. And um, he's in a coma and on a ventilator. We've done all the things we can do. Mm. And I said, my husband's about 20 minutes away, and I, I'm three hours away. I was on my way to Mississippi State to no watch way. our daughter play soccer. Um, and and I said, I'm three hours away, but I'll turn around now. And he said, well, um, be careful. I think you can make it. And so immediately, without saying it, he mm -hmm. had said, you know, I don't feel like this is going to have a positive mm -hmm. outcome. Mm -hmm. And so Mark got there, and when he got there, the nurse looked at him and just said, it's really bad. And mm. which, again, that's not typical for, yeah. for right. that kind of situation. Right. And nurse doesn't usually say that. But um, so he was there with him. They got him in a room. And when I got there, it was amazing. I mean, the 
the presence of God in my mm. car. Seriously, I don't, you know, in my own strength, I have no idea how I could have driven back three hours by myself mm -hmm. yeah. in that situation. Absolutely. But um, I did not. I it was like I knew exactly what to do. I knew mm. where to go. I knew what to, who to call. I knew, you know, and I just started being a doing the logistics, you yeah. know. Mm. Um, and of course, our primary support system was here, mm. and so. Um, there was a big movement of people mobilizing up to Tulsa, I that. <laughs> and um, and my family, my we're all down here as well. Um, aside from my daughter, who is at Mississippi State, and so um, when I got to the hospital, it was truly amazing. I remember thinking, "We're not that connected here. Like, we're not gonna. How are we gonna do this?" Hmm. And um, I walked in, and there were seventy people in the oh. waiting room. <laughs> wow. And they were all parents of friends, connections he had made, yeah. and then a few that we had made. But primarily, it was the influence he had had on other people. Mm. Kids had been in Bible study, and they got the message, and they all left Bible study and came. People had been, you know, in all different sorts of things. Mm. And so... um and there was someone there who had called me and said, I'm going to meet you at the elevator and I'm going to walk you through the crowd of people so that you can get directly to the room. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, that is something that I will never forget. Mm. And oh, also, she said, and also someone is down at the front and they're going to take your car and park it for you. And just as ways of service, acts of service oh, that man. in that situation were so precious to me because I didn't waste a single moment. And I didn't get shocked when the elevator doors open and there are all these people. And I had somebody walking alongside right. me to kind of be Buffer a little barrier. Yeah. 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 Um, and I always try to remember that, you mm. know. How do you uh, tell the story without crying? Mm. Oh, oh, my man. gosh. <laughs> it's a little crazy. Mm. Um, and so I got there. And really for the next eight days, it was just kind of hanging on. Mm. Um he really wasn't responsive. He had multiple complications. He got pneumonia. And um, and we were not given any reason to think that he would live, but that if he did live, that he would remain in a vegetative state. And in mm. fact, the numbers were um, less than a 10% chance that he would live. Mm. And wow. if he lived, then he 90% chance he would be in a vegetative state. So um, it was really interesting because – the staff was were caring, but they were a little um it was like he wasn't a a person mm. in and of himself. Like they didn't ask anything about him. They didn't know him. They weren't fighting for him. Right. And that really bothered me. Mm. Um because I really wanted I wanted God to make them invested. <laughs> and um and over time I got to see him do that and we developed fantastic relationships when you live some you know in the hospital for 24 7 but you get to know the nurses really well and true. um actually three of them are who i dedicated the book to and um they just have been they were just wonderful and um such a source of encouragement at the time even though nobody was doing any real encouraging we were just kind of holding mm. um and on the eighth day i Mark and I went to a little room and just said, okay, let's make sure we're on the same page. Like, um, and I said, I, 
I don't want to let him live like this. Mm. Um, and he said, I'm in total agreement. This is not how God, you know, the abundant life God desires mm -hmm. for him to live. And, um, and so if we, if we get to the point where we have to make a decision, are we in agreement about what we want to do? And, um, and we came to that agreement very pragmatically, mm. <laughs> um, but it was really just the spirit coming in and, and getting us, you know, connected and, and we just didn't have to say a lot. We just knew. Yeah. Um, and so after that grueling conversation, um, I went back to take a shower in the room, the hospital room. And when I was in the shower, I sensed something in my spirit. I was like, something, something's happening. And then I heard a knock on the door and I really didn't know, was it, should I be panicking or should I be like, <laughs> right. what should be happening? But either way, I jumped out of the shower and threw some clothes on and, um, and my daughter was standing over him and she said, he opened his eyes. <laughs> and, um, and so we all covered around him and he did open them some, he, didn't I mean he was far far away sure <laughs> but um but there was that was the first sign that he was changing you know mm -hmm. in a positive direction um and we prayed over him and while we prayed he didn't have any control of his limbs but one arm came up with his hand pointing mm. to heaven and um and you know looking back now I know he did not have any cognitive awareness that a caused him to do that. That was strictly the movement of the spirit. Absolutely. And, um, and that was something I learned a lot about during that time is how, you know, there's spirit little s and spirit big S and spirit little s that's in all of us. And when we're believers, when the spirit lives within us, that that informed spirit can communicate with the spirit in someone else. Mm. And um, we relied on that so heavily during that time and, and gained a better understanding of how, you know, a lot of times people talk about they just kind of had a sense or they had the intuition mm. and how really we would just pray that that the spirit within Lance would be able to communicate with the doctors, um, so the spirit, and so that he could guide and direct and, and communicate because he certainly wasn't able to communicate any of his needs. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so that was that was really special, and we saw, you know, an example mm -hmm. of the spirit acting in that case. Um, the other really cool thing was we looked out the window, and there was a double rain rainbow outside <laughs> the window, um, which was just an amazing reminder of his mm -hmm. faithfulness. Um, but honestly, at that time, because of my career in working with people with neurological disabilities, um, I actually struggled more with fear when he started taking steps that direction than I mm. did with the idea of letting go yeah. because well, I knew what that would look like. Yeah. And, um, and I knew what kind of life it would be for him and for all of us. And um, that really, really scared me because mm. I really thought, well, if he survives, but he's like this, you know, how is that going to work? And of course, we would love him. We would, God would still be faithful sure. yeah. even in that. And he would have given us the strength we needed to endure it and all of those things. And we've certainly walked through that with lots of other people who've had that as the outcome. Mm. Um, but in his sovereignty, hmm. he chose to 
one little miracle at a time to start healing Lance. And um, we went from literally the abilities of a newborn. He couldn't hold up his head. He couldn't swallow. He couldn't control his, you know, bowel movements, his urine, Mm -hmm. couldn't control his arms or his legs, couldn't sit up, all of those things. Um, Mm. And one little step at a time, he started gaining some abilities uh, after a little over right about a month, we were transferred to Baylor Rehab in Dallas, and that was just a great gift from the Lord um, because we got to come home. And in this time of our greatest need, we were close to the people that had, you know, grown up with us in our adult life and grown up with our kids. Um, And I honestly believe it was a huge part of his recovery because he would have friends that he's known since little little bit yeah. um come and sit with him and talk to him and so he got that sense of normalcy um and even though he wasn't able to speak and we didn't know exactly how he was processing information um they were they were there and and it was really really sweet and really good um so we went, we were there for a couple of months. And while he was there, he began to have control of his head. And he began to be able to sit up in the wheelchair without having to be reclined. Okay. Um, eventually, they got him where he was taking steps with a walker. And um, he started speaking some. And his cognitive skills were definitely far behind. Um he describes it. He doesn't really remember much of that. He knows he knows that it happened and he was mm. he remembers that he was at better. He remembers nothing from the four weeks before that. But wow. um he he doesn't um it's like he can't he doesn't feel like he was his mind was connected to his body, I guess mm. is how I describe it. He says, you know, well, I didn't know what was going on. Like, you mm-hmm. know, I may have acted like it, but I didn't know what was going on. Um And so we progressed through the therapy there, and then he was transferred to a day neuro program called the Center for Neuroskills in Irving, where he got eight hours of therapy a day and um, made a lot more progress and worked with psychologists and worked with an education person and um, all the other therapies and Mm -hmm. continued to make progress until really he said, I'm done. Um, I want to go, I want to be home. And, um, so that was a few months and then we were back home and doing outpatient therapy and trying to adjust to this new normal. Mm. Um, you know, he wasn't stable. He couldn't, you know, take Mm. showers by himself, you know, all of those things. Um, and also he had very little, um, self-control, inhibition control, Mm. um, things you might have experienced at times in your life. Um, (laughs) But he, um, and so we couldn't just leave him unattended. Um, And so anyway, that just progressed over the next year. He became more and more reliable and more and more aware. And, Mm. um, and then we, if school was hard and so we homeschooled so that we could adapt for the holes that there were mm. um and eventually a couple of years later he went and lived with my mom in Waco and went to MCC um to take some classes and see if he could 
um, achieve his dream that he's had since he was old enough to talk to be a Baylor bear. <laughs> and so um, God continued to just work in him and did provide that opportunity. And um, ultimately, he graduated from Baylor wow. and he's working in Dallas now and um, active in ministry and has a great God story. Yeah. Um, it's a big scar, you know, from the trach in his throat. Mm -hmm. And it's his, um, you know, conversation starter <laughs> and gets to talk about how good God is. But I think the thing for our family, especially for me, is that I know that we didn't do anything to deserve his healing. And mm. we didn't take any actions that made us have any more, a better outcome. Mm. Um, but it was simply because of God's sovereignty. It was a part mm. of his plan. He yeah. already knew the days of Lance's life, and that wasn't mm. the end of them. Um, and... And so I really came down during that time. I struggled a lot because we were around a lot of people who had a, um, if you believe enough, if you speak mm. in Jesus' name that this is going to happen, then he will be healed. And I, as much as I believe that God asks us to trust in him and to ask him for what we need, to me, his sovereignty overrides all of that. Right. And um and so I really came down to saying, I know that you're able and I'm asking that you will. And I just think that when he asks us to believe, um, he asks us alongside with that to to say, but not my will, but <laughs> yours. And um, and to really mean it as hard as that is. Um, and I, I think back sometimes and I feel some survivor's guilt sometimes when I'm helping other families um, and their outcome may not be the same. But God always is really sweet to remind me that when we were in the moment and when that was happening, that we didn't know the outcome. Right. And so the things he taught us about trusting him and being faithful, those things remain true. Um, and they would have remained true regardless of what the outcome hmm. was. So that's kind of the the thumbnail version. Yeah. But yes, that's God showed up big. <laughs> okay, so that plus the other battles that you faced growing up and, and the other things have kind of led you into a project right now with, that involves a devotion that you're writing. Can you tell us about that project? Yes, it's actually super cool. I'm really excited about it. It's um, During the time from day one in the hospital, mm -hmm. um, I started posting on Facebook just because I was like, I can't keep up with all the texts. I'll just put it on my Facebook. People can share it, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and so I would write an update. But what was interesting was that even in the midst of that, God would just like literally at night, I would sit down, I'd put my hands on the computer and then he would just speak mm -hmm. <laughs> and I would just type. Yeah. And so he was teaching during that time. Well, people started saying, hey, I'm using your posts every day as our daily devotional. Mm. So you really should. I really, when all of this has passed, I really hope that you'll think about doing that. And um, so here we are seven years later, um, <laughs> eight years later, and I've finally done the first of three. And it's designed with um, a journal entry, so an actual Facebook entry. And then like if that entry was you know, we're praying that he will begin to take breaths on his own. Um, then I did an in-depth didactic study of the breath of God mm. and wow. then a prompt. So how would this apply to your life and then room to journal? And so there are 57, 58 
journal entries like that with a related topic. And I've tried really hard to take a deep dive, but mm. short um, to that is hard. <laughs> to satisfy my own need for not having a fill in the blank yeah. devotional. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to go into some of the Greek and the Hebrew meanings in scripture that shed light on um, why this scripture means what it means. And um, and so in that way, giving people a platform to jump off of if they want to go deeper, but at the same time, giving people who only have time to read a two-page devotional. Um, and it's really more like one and a half pages, um, mm -hmm. the ability to do that and really get some substance out of it um, and have space to reflect on it and journal. And so this one is called pressing in. That was kind of my keyword during that time was mm. I don't know what to do. I don't have anything within myself to deal with this. Um, and my only choice is to press in to yeah. him. And um, and I found him to be faithful. Hmm. You know, I pressed in at a time when I knew nothing about what was going to happen. And um, and he didn't give way <laughs> no matter how hard I leaned. The harder I leaned, the more resistance I got back, hmm. the more support I got back. And that was a real eye opening for me, because I think that when we go through life and things are kind of going the way we plan them to go, we don't have to lean in. Right. We don't have to press in. And, um, and so we don't feel his support coming back. Mm. And, um, and that was a really, that phrase just really stuck with me. Sure. And, um, and I think it's really a powerful phrase. And the next one that's planned is called pressing through and it will have the first one goes through part of his rehab and the next one will be part of rehab. And then, um, adjusting back to the new normal at home yeah. and just the necessity of, pushing on through the hard the hard that's part of the miracle right you know you have this miracle that's happening but it didn't mean it was easy it was little miracle by little miracle and so um i'm really looking forward to lance helping me with some of that one um and mm -hmm. just talking about some of the things that he remembers um feeling during that time and then the last one um will be dedicated to my dad because um, one of his favorite sayings was onward and upward <laughs> and it's pressing on and um, it will just cover just what God's done as Lance has continued to heal and move on into an abundant life. Um, wow. So I also try to send out um, devotionals every other week. I try to write one and send it out to my email subscribers. Um, and so, so being a music person, we're mm -hmm. all music people. Mm -hmm. uh, music helps me <laughs> get through things and hear clearly what God is trying to do and trying to speak to me at times. What was a song or two within that time that just really, that God used to minister mm -hmm. to you and to Mark and in your yeah. family? Music was really life-sustaining mm. during that time. Um, it was interesting. I really wanted to go back to my 90s worship roots. That's what felt... Michael W. Smith. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> That's what felt good to me. <laughs> um, and really, the song that comes to mind right now is Sweet Mercies, the mm. worship song Sweet Mercies. Nice. And I remember... I really hardly ever cried during that. You asked about how I can tell the story without crying. I just don't. I'm mm. just not a crier. Mm. Um, and I really rarely cried during, even during those days, except in the shower. Mm. And it was almost like because I could feel the water raining down on me and I felt like God's spirit was raining down mm. on me. It just was, I was able to let go and let that happen. Um, 
So all the songs about, you know, Jesus raining down on us. Um, I think of grace flows down. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. all of those, all yeah. of those um, were really significant to me during that time. And my family, you know, we had worship music playing all the time right. in the room and um, uh, Shane and Shane and uh, Phil Wickham and a mm. um, little bit of Carrie Job here and there. Right. And so it was, mm. it was really, um, you know, the sounds of a hospital room when, especially a trauma ICU mm. room are um, distressing. Yeah. It's beeps and buzzes and alarms. And you don't know what's, and which one's doing what and what's glaring, going on. Glaring and numbers. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And so it was really important to me, one, to keep the blinds open as much as possible mm. and let some light in and to have worship music going because it was just the calm and the chaos. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and it kept us grounded, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and certainly it helped allow some tears to flow here and there and, and just cleanse, <laughs> cleanse mm. the yucky that built up, you know. Yeah. Wow. So do you have a favorite verse, passage, story of the Bible that um, maybe not just resonated during that time, but maybe has just had a constant um, place in your life. You know? Yeah. Um, the one that comes to mind is Mark nine twenty four, mm. when, um, the father said, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Mm. And I think that trust, faith, belief is a journey. Mm. And even when we feel like we've trusted as much as we can, there's further to go. And so, um, and I, I don't remember a time in my life when I didn't believe, mm. But I certainly have had my share of unbelief and and doubt and fear. Yeah. And so that verse just, it humanizes the scriptures. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's applicable no matter where you are in life. So that resonates the most strongly with me. That's great. Okay. So Wendy, tell us how can our listeners find your devotion? First of all, I want to find your devotion, mm -hmm. devotional, um, not just this one, but the future ones that are coming, especially now that I know the story and yeah. relate, oh, yeah. you relate that to it. Um, so how can they get a hold of, you know, you or do you have a website or where's the devotion located? Yeah. Where can our listeners find out? Yeah, more about so that? there's lots of information on the website, wendysmithwrites.com. Okay. Um, and you can download the first three three chapters, I think it is for free. Um, you can get wallpapers for your phone. I mean, there are all kinds of little <laughs> yeah, goodies cool. on there. Um, and off any updates will be going there. And I'm, I'm updating the site actually and planning to update it with a whole with the story and, mm. um, have that on there as well. Um, and then I can be followed on Facebook, Wendy Lothgren Smith and on Instagram, Wendy Smith writes. You're going to have to spell that for the middle. One. Yeah. Wendy Lothgren L as in laugh. O, F as in Frank G R E N is Swedish. Uh, Wendy Lothgren Smith. And I went okay. to Smith seriously. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, that's my Facebook. Yeah. And Wendy Smith writes is the Instagram. Um, and then if you go on the website, you can sign up for the um, devotionals so that you'll just consistently be getting those and then updates with where the book is yeah. and what's happening with the next book and all of that. And then the book is available now on Amazon. You can just go in there and type pressing in and um, and it will pop up. That's so it's awesome. Wendy Smith, thank you so much for coming and doing the podcast with us. Thank you. I'm it was a dead pleasure. serious. If we need to come back and talk about that, another aspect of your life that you said is a whole other podcast, I'm all about it. Let's okay. Do it. I'm in. I'm yeah, in. Absolutely. Good. All right. Um, Appreciate it.
Folks, if you want to learn more about who Jesus is, visit us at thetestamentpod.com. That's thetestamentpod.com. And click on the gospel message at the top of the page. Also, you can click on the Testament Podcast tab and learn more about our podcast and see what our most recent episodes are that we've launched. In addition, we're always looking for guests who want to brag on God. So please send yourself or someone you know to thetestamentpod.com and drop us a line with your interest or email us at thetestamentpod at gmail.com. We'll send you all the information we need in order to book you for an interview. Remember, do your part. Help us get these testimonies out there. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and then like and share our posts so your friends can see what we're doing too. So thanks everybody for listening. Bye.